Now we are live. Welcome everybody. It's been a while. I'm excited to do this. Um, yeah, we we've been talking, me and Edgar, about doing a a video where Edgar will share about the Book of Daniel and some of the uh, the arguments that the WMSCOG uses. Um, and so that's that's one of the things we want to do today. But before we do that, I just wanted to make sure. Can you guys in the comments let me know if uh, if my audio sounds okay? Um, I I noticed in in one of the recent live videos, my audio was um, like really loud and kind of like blown out a little bit, so that it was when I was going back through it and listening to it, it's hard to even listen to. So. Um, yeah, if you could let me know, you guys listening, I don't want to move forward until I know that it sounds it sounds fine. And then Edgar, go ahead and say hello. We'll make sure yours sounds good too. How's it going, everybody? Hope everybody's having a blessed evening today. All right. They're saying it sounds good, so I guess we're good to go. Yeah, well, thanks, everybody, for, for being here. Thank you, Edgar, for being here and it's been a while since people have seen you. So how, how's it going? Oh, everything is going lovely right now. Um, you know, I, I can't complain. Uh, I'm very happy. Um, you know, obviously in this world, there's a lot of, you know, troubles and so many things that, you know, can, can affect you physically, but spiritually, I feel amazing. I, I feel free. I feel I'm, I'm so happy. I have, you know, hunger to study the Bible every day. I'm actually talking to a lot of uh, people lately, like, a, you know, not just Church of God members, um, you know, thanks to God, there's been a lot of people from the Church of God reaching out and I've talked to some members. Um, but also I've been talking to a lot of Mormons lately. A lot of, uh, I have okay. friends in, uh, in, in Houston that, uh, you know, are, we're getting involved with the Hebrew Israelite movement. I've been talking to them and, That's you know, just, one. yeah, that really, and it makes me, makes me like a really, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be involved in, in, you know, things like this because really it's, it's really needed. You know, uh, there's so mm -hmm. many cults now in the world and there's so many false gospels and there has to be people that, you know, stand up and, you know, are willing to fight the good fight for the truth, you know, because I, I think it is important to to understand what is truth, you know, and I, I think that's a that's very important. So, yeah, it's just it's crazy how. How easily it the Bible can be used to abuse people, control people, and it can be just so quickly and easily misused to just destroy people's lives. And it's used as a weapon. It's used as a, uh, an instrument of power. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy to see that. And so, so many different groups and, and even just relationships, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a cult group or something like that, just relationships. But yeah, so um, definitely, uh, yeah, is is helpful. I think is good. Is important to continue to have these these kind of discussions. And um, it, uh, what what I'd like to do um, is talk about Daniel for sure. Um, I also, if we if we have some time, I want to get to. I've, I've I was talking to Kelsey and she pointed out that one of your 
is actually one of the short videos that I posted of you, Edgar, one of the clips, and I sent that clip to you. Um, it's, it's kind of getting, it seems like it's suddenly getting more traffic and it's not really, well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I would say it kind of is good traffic, but it's, it's a lot of um, people commenting on it that are members um, of the WMSCOG and they are saying some pretty hateful, angry things. Um, and so I thought it'd be kind of fun to maybe just read through some of those comments um, at some point here and then maybe respond to some of those. Um, and then as always, for those of you guys in the comments, um, I see that there's a handful of you uh, watching right now. We will, um, if you have questions, for Edgar or anything that we're talking about, um, feel free to put those down too. We'll try to get to some of those. Um, but maybe to to start out, um, why don't we, Edgar, just maybe talk a little bit about Daniel because this is this is something that, and I don't I don't have any of the specific questions that I've gotten um, in the past pulled up or anything, but I do know that I have gotten a lot of questions about the book of Daniel. And I think that's something that confuses a lot of people. That's, uh, um, you know, some of the, the arguments that the WMSCOG uses, I think the, um, from the book of Daniel hangs a lot of people up. And, and I know, you know, when we, when we first talked, when you were still a member and, and our one of our first conversations, it might have been our first conversation where, well, more of a debate. And I know that the one thing that you said that really um, uh, stood out to both me and Jesse, the one thing that um, and it wasn't necessarily like convincing to me that 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 the WMSCOG's, you know, doctrines were true is more just like, oh, that's an interesting point, And I don't really know how to answer that. And and the point was from Daniel. Um, that you had brought up, and and it was something that we never really did, uh, you know, find a, an answer to. So, that being said, this is one thing. This is one book, one kind of, um, you know, biblical argument that we really haven't ever taken a whole lot of time to look at. So, I just thought tonight we could um, take a few minutes and let you kind of first kind of explain, like, what are some of the main arguments from Daniel that the WMSCOG uses. And then also from that, talk about why now you see those differently and, and basically debunk them, <laughs> basically yeah. take the WMSCOG's Daniel uh, uh, arguments and debunk them. That's kind of what we, I would like to start with. And then again, we'll, we'll get to questions and um, read through some of those, some of your hate mail on that, that video. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so from the get go, I just want to mention, like, I'm I'm not an expert in, you know, uh, this theology or, you know, I'm prophecy, you know, I do my best to, to study the scriptures, you know, uh, pray to God. I listen to a lot of different people as well, you know, and uh, so I'm not claiming that, you know, for instance, first of all, we have to understand that this uh, prophecy of Daniel didn't have its you know, origins in the World Mission Society Church of God. This is way before World right. Mission Society Church of God. This is SDA. And even the more that I look into it, I've also seen that uh, actually during the Reformation age, this is actually the time that most of the reformers were leaning towards the idea that the Roman Catholic Church was the uh, Antichrist. 
So this is this is not, you know, Church of God, you know, it didn't originate from the Wormish side Church of God. So there is a lot of things that, you know, the I'm not going to say the Church of God has right, because like I said, it didn't originate with them. Like, for instance, the, the vision of the four beasts, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece and Rome, that's 100 percent correct, where we start finding like different, you know, uh, ideologies, different theologies when it starts coming down to the, you know, tin horns and, you know, the characteristics of, of the horns, the little horn and stuff like that. But in order to really have a good understanding of Daniel's, this is why, like, uh, even right now, I want to explain a couple of points of Daniel. But to really get the gist of everything, you can't study Daniel by itself. We have to, Daniel's and Revelation is parallel to each other. And without one, it's very hard to understand the other. So, you know, what I like to do is maybe, you know, go, like you said, go a little bit over what the World Mission Society Church of God teaches about Daniel and then kind of give some, you know, ideas of why it doesn't, you know, stand up. And also maybe in the future, we could go over a little bit over, you know, the book of Revelations and kind of tie it all together to have a better and more clear understanding. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, right off, right off the back in uh, the prophecy of Daniel's, you know, chapter two and seven, they, when you, when you're in the World Mission Society Church of God, when you, when you get to this study, which is in sermon book two, this is, this is the one where, you know, you wow people because of all the historical knowledge and, you know, well, the supposed of historical knowledge, you know, and, uh, <laughs> right. all, 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 you know, all these, all these things and how you can connect the dots and, you know, uh, but basically they focus a lot on who the Antichrist is, that that's the purpose of the prophecy of Daniel's and Revelation is who the identity of the Antichrist is. But actually the most important thing about Daniel's prophecy and Revelation's prophecies and literally the 66 books of the Bible is all about Jesus. It's Christ centered. It's all about in Daniel's prophecy, the, the gist of it is about Jesus Christ's kingdom being established on this earth. That's the most important thing. So when we take our eyes off of Jesus and start focusing on these other things, then that's when we begin to get sidetracked and, uh, you know, uh, absorbed into all this, you know, uh, theological pretzel, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. in order to understand Daniel's, I guess, you know, would you, I mean, I guess I could, you know, kind of preach it in a way that, uh, you know, putting my, my member hat back on and kind yeah. of do a quick, you know. Yeah, I, I would summary. say just, I think, to most effectively, like, debunk them, we first need to know, like, what is it that they say? So, yeah, just give, you know, and you don't have to, to do the full thing, but just kind of give at least, you know, a, a good, give us a good idea of what it is that they kind of say about Daniel. Yeah, so of course, and, and you know, in Daniel, and Daniel, uh, thanks, Andy. And Daniel chapter two, this is where they begin to study the the uh, prophecy or the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is during the time that the Israelites were captive in Babylon, and so King Nebuchadnezzar is having you know dreams that are troubling him. And he goes out and he asks the astrologers, the sorcerers, the enchanters, you know, what is what is the meaning of his dream? And, you know, they're supposed to be the wise men of Babylon. 
Well, no one can interpret the dream because, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, you know, he, he actually had a little bit of wisdom. Well, it was really God who, who did it. I'm sorry, because what God did was he caused Nebuchadnezzar to not remember his dream. The reason being is if he would have remembered his dream and and told, you know, the sorcerers, the enchanters, the magicians, the wise men of Babylon, the dream, you know, according to his own words. And they could have taken that and, you know, uh, gave any kind of wild interpretation to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, so God caused Nebuchadnezzar to not remember his dream. Because of that reason, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had put out a decree to kill all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel was called. When Daniel was called, uh, he was also going to be executed with the wise men. Daniel was different, though. He was uh, he was a prophet of God. He prayed to God. And Daniel's prayers were amazing, very humble, realized how much of a sinner he was. God revealed the uh, mystery of the dream to Daniel. And Daniel went before the king and began to give the king the interpretation of, of the dream. So we go to Daniel chapter 2. It will say here in uh, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19, says, During the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So here's the gist of the dream is um, Daniel is saying you saw a statue, an enormous, dazzling statue. And he begins to explain this statue is layered. Right. He talks about the, the head of gold. 
So when the World Mission Society begins to uh, preach this prophecy, they begin to break it down by the, you know, the metals and what the statue for they they show you a picture of the statue. Let me see if I I might have yep. brought it with me. I have a sermon book. Yeah, so here's the here's the breakdown. Uh, let's try to get it straight. There we go. So you can see it's the head of gold, the chest and arms Which of silver. Which book is this in, Edgar? This is a uh, sermon book two. Okay. And so, you know, they begin to explain that, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar is the is the head of gold and that kingdom represents Babylon. And then they begin to explain that as you go through the dream, once Daniel begins to, you know, ex explain it away later down that that uh, that chapter. He begins to explain that another that the the metals keep going down and they get stronger and stronger, and so basically what what they say is you know the a kingdom appears and it gives characteristics for the kingdom and after that kingdom another kingdom will appear and then it gives characteristics for that kingdom after that kingdom appears and a third will appear gives characteristics for that kingdom and finally a fourth kingdom will appear when that fourth kingdom appears. That's the Bible explains in the time of those kings. That's when the God of heaven sets up his kingdom in the world. So that's that's the main uh, prophecy of Daniel. But the way the World Mission Society Church of God goes about explaining it is they want you to focus on these on these four kingdoms. And the reason why is when you go here to verse. Go down to. Verse 44, it says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces that the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So, you know, the World Mission Society Church of God, they believe that they are the last, they are God's kingdom or that Zion is what the Bible is prophesying about. That is the kingdom that's going to destroy the, you know, uh, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And they're the ones that's, that appeared after the Dark Ages happened and that they're the ones that took the power from the uh, Roman Catholic Church. So in order to get to the part where we understand who the, who the Antichrist of Daniel chapter 2 is, we have to go to Daniel chapter 7. So go to Daniel chapter 7 with me. And we're going to see the basically the same vision just in a different angle. In the first one, Daniel chapter two, was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This is Daniel's dream of the four beasts. So it's basically the same, same vision, just in a different aspect. And so here in what Daniel verse chapter, did you say? Uh, we're going to read from verse one. Okay. 
So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were all allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. 
The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So I wanted to read the whole uh, chapter 7 because it's mm -hmm. very important. They, they break it down in, in sections. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of the people that are watching that are on the comment section, they're familiar with the prophecies of Daniel chapter two and seven. But for the someone that this is the first time, you know, hearing this, what they do is we understood through Daniel chapter two that there's a vision of, of a statue. The statue is broken down into into, you know, the body parts and the right. head, the, the chest, the thighs, and then it goes down to the, to the feet. And then from there, it, it goes on to show us that it's represented by four metals, right? Gold, silver, bronze, and then, then iron and clay. So that we know that these kingdoms, this is not a secret. You know, most most of mainstream Christianity, the reformers, SDA, world mission, literally a lot. Most people understand this is the four king, the four world powers that appear, which is Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The reason why we we know that is not just by Daniel chapter uh, two and seven. If you read Daniel chapter eight, it actually names. Uh, media Persia and Greece. So it actually is it's very amazing because th these are the kind of prophecies that really make you believe that God's word is 100% true. But anyway, um, back to uh, Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter two, the fourth beast, the, the number one characteristic that was different from the rest of the beast was the fourth beast was divided into uh, 10 and it says it had 10 toes. And so that carries over into Daniel chapter seven and Daniel chapter seven. If you notice when we were reading, you know, about the four beasts, it mentions that the fourth beast had 10 horns, the same as in Daniel chapter two, the, the fourth metal, the iron, the feet, it explains that it had 10 toes. So you see the, the, the similarities there. And so that's why we know that it's the, the Roman empire is actually the, the fourth kingdom. But the thing is, this is where this is where the uh, World Mission Society Church of God and, and also the SDA Church uh, begin to you know explain about the the role of the Antichrist. They say the Antichrist is going to appear from the uh, the Roman Empire, and so what they do is they'll they'll go to uh, let's see in Daniel chapter seven. Verse eight, this, they say this, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So they say, who is this? Who is this little horn? And why was, uh, why was Daniel thinking about it? Why was Daniel 
why was Daniel so concerned with this little horn? And if you continue to read, it says in verse 19, it says, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushes and devours its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. So they say, who is who is this little horn that's going up against the holy people? And so they say, if he's going up against the holy people, ultimately, who is he going up against? He's going against God. So what's another word for against? It's anti. So this is where you get antichrist. So this little horn must be the antichrist. And so how can we understand who this antichrist is? We have to look at the characteristics that were given to the antichrist. And it says here in verse 25, it says, he will speak against the most high and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. So then they begin to explain that the Roman Catholic Church was the one who fulfilled uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and also in verse, uh, let's see. It was in verse 20. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. So basically, the prophecy of the Antichrist, according to SDA, is whoever fulfilled this prophecy of uprooting three kingdoms or destroying three kingdoms, they had to uh, speak against the Most High. They had to try to change the uh, set times and the laws. Mm -hmm. And it says that the holy people will be delivered to them for a times, times, and half a time. And so they will say the Roman Catholic Church was the one that destroyed three kingdoms out of these 10 that was that Rome was actually divided into because Rome was actually divided into 10 kingdoms. And so the last three kingdoms, Hiruli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths, they will say that the Roman Catholic Church destroyed those three kingdoms because they held on to their belief of Arianism. And so they were went against the Roman Catholic Church. So because of that reason, the Roman Catholic Church subdued these three kings or destroyed them. And I actually was reading their sermon book before uh, starting this uh, live chat. And it, it says that they will destroy those three kings. And the reason why that's significant is because this is where they get their timeline. They say the last kingdom of the three, the three kingdoms that the Roman Catholic Church supposedly destroyed was Ostrogoths, which they say was destroyed in 538. So if you look at um, 538, because remember, they say the other part of the of the prophecy is that the Antichrist will um, the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months 
or 1,260 days, which they say 1,260 days is 1,260 years, according to the prophecy. This is what they say. So they say that when the Roman Catholic Church destroyed the last kingdom, which was Ostrogoths in 538, they say the Roman Catholic Church wielded all the power and that they, they began to persecute the Christians, killed millions of Christians, and they reigned for 1,260 years. That was known as the period of the Dark Ages, which ended in 1798. And so they say that is how one part of the prophecy is fulfilled by the Roman Catholic Church. Then the other part is they say that he will speak against the Most High. The, obviously, they say the Pope, he, he claims to be God himself. He speaks blasphemous words. And we can get a little more into that when we get to the book of Revelation, because that's going to be really amazing to get into that. And uh, finally, it says he would change. He would try to change the set times and the laws. So they say the Roman Catholic Church began to change all of God's set times and laws. They changed the Passover into uh, Christmas or Easter, and that they also changed the Sabbath day from uh, Saturday to Sunday. And so there you have it. That's pretty much the the main gist of uh, okay. chapter two and seven is, you know, the how the Roman Catholic Church is the Antichrist. I know that was a lot of uh, that was a yeah. lot of uh, reading, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah. And, and I try to make it very short and I hope that uh, there was an that was good. There's not too many I, members or people that are new because I skipped over a lot of things to get to the main point. Yeah, no, that's good. I, and I'm sure for former members listening, they were probably triggered in, in some some ways yeah. by hearing that. And it's probably always um, weird to, to re-listen to some of those um yeah, some of those studies, but yeah, good job. So, do you want to get into now, kind of why? Because because you've been you've been out now of the WMSCOG for for a while, and so I'm sure you've had some time to kind of think about some of these things. Uh, well, I know you have. Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, I'm just curious now because uh, there was at one point in your life where you, you would have heard that and you, you had those arguments and you thought that they were solid. You thought that they were convincing, I assume. Um, and now as you look at them, you see, uh, again, I would assume you see some holes in them. You see, um, some issues with them. Um, oh, let's say hi to star power real quick. <laughs> Welcome. Glad to see you here, buddy. Um, <laughs> how's it going star power? Um, but yeah, if you want to go ahead and, and kind of share some of your thoughts, Edgar, now, um, yeah. about how you see it now and some of the holes maybe that you see with that. Yeah. So like I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here really to say that everything that of that prophecy is incorrect, because, again, yeah. the most important thing I want to mention is this did not originate with the World Mission Society Church of God. I agree up to the four kingdoms because the Bible states in Daniel chapter eight, it names them by names. But when it comes down to the Antichrist, we need to understand that this this is literally the Antichrist. This prophecy of Daniel's and Revelation, that's why I really want to get into Revelation, is you're going to understand that this was written for a 
audience that exist that lived 2000 years ago they were the ones who were going to experience who this antichrist was and they were better equipped to understand the the uh symbology and all the all the uh symbolism that john and daniel were writing with they had they would have a better understanding of who this antichrist was and i'm going to show verses today where we can understand like how how they explain who the antichrist was and if the antichrist appeared during their time but i don't want to get ahead of myself to revelation so we're going to stick a little bit to to daniel's right now but okay. obviously there there's holes in in the whole roman catholic church being the antichrist and and again i can already see uh, all the world mission society church of god members saying Look at uh, Edgar. He left the Church of God, and now he's defending the Roman Catholic Church. He's going. He 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 went rogue and is saying that they have the the perfect truth, and you know that we should. You know, I can just imagine what what's going through their head. But I'm in no way, shape, or form saying that I agree with the theology of the Roman Catholic Church. Just like I don't agree with the theology of the Jehovah's Witness or the Hebrew Israelites. That doesn't mean that I believe that they're the anti. Christ that's prophesied in the scriptures. We have to learn how to understand the scriptures and let the Bible interpret the Bible and not put our own understanding, our own, you know, our own thought that fits our own bias or what we've been taught, you know, before the word of God. So, you know, one of the main points, and Jeremy actually uh, touched on this, was um, shout out to Jeremy, by the way, if he's, if he's here. Yeah. But, um, uh, so we can always you know, shout out Jeremy. Yeah. Good old Jeremy. So, yeah, he, you know, he brought that up and I researched about, you know, the three kingdoms that the Roman Catholic Church supposedly destroyed, which were Herali, uh, Vandals and Ostrogoths. Ostrogoths was the last one that the supposedly the Roman Catholic Church destroyed. And when they got everybody out of their way to basically begin to be able to rule and, and begin the, the dark ages. So they say that happened in uh, 538. From 538 to 1798 gives you an exact perfect 1260 years, right? Or, or a times, times, and half a time. But actually when you look up the history, Ostrogoths was destroyed in 554 not 538. So if it was destroyed, and in the sermon book, it explains that the Roman Catholic Church destroyed these three kingdoms, right? So we have a problem already with the with the time because with that timeline, if Ostrogoths was destroyed in 554, then it cannot fulfill the 1260 year prophecy of a time, times, and half a time in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. So that right there is a very big problem for, for the church of God. And also you can see why also the World Society Church of God took away the evidence book because there's a lot of holes in, in you know, in, in their doctrine. There's mm -hmm. a lot of holes in, in, in the evidence book, you know, and they were called out on it, you know, and uh, that's why they're no longer selling it because when you actually look at their sources, they're not good sources and it's just all biased history to fit their narrative. So that's, that's the, one of the main points that, you know, on uh, uh, Daniel chapter seven, the other one is uh, go, go ahead. Do you want to say something, Jordan? Oh, I was just going to read Ray's comment real quick because he said that this is the place where uh, the WMS fails miserably when they try to deal with history, science, or dates. Really easy to show that they are lying. 
Um, yeah, the fact that the fact that they have an evidence book that they have to take out of you know production circulation yeah. that 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 says a lot. <laughs> you know, if it, their evidence book, they're using this to prove their their ideas, and you know, if this is the the one true church. Um, you would expect you would expect more from them. You know, you, they shouldn't have to to remove an entire book um, <laughs> like that. So, I mean, but it, it's not the first time. So, I mean, you know, uh, ask them. I encourage the members ask them. Like, this should not be. It might be shocking for the newer generation that's coming in, but like for the members that's been there for years, you guys know that is true. It's it's not a it's not a new thing where they you know, take their, their, I remember in 2015 when we were told the world was going to end and we had studied prophecies for that whole year about the year of Jubilee and how it was going to end. And then when nothing happened, then we heard the word, it's time to turn in all your notes, guys. It's time to turn in all the, all the evidence that you have that we gave that prophecy. Why is that? Because they're trying to cover their tracks so that the new generate, I didn't understand at that time, but now I, looking back at it, I realize, I realize now that the, they're covering their tracks for the new generation that comes in so that they don't catch wind of you know, oh, they had prophesied the world was going to yeah. end at that time and that time and that time and that time. And Jehovah's Witness do the same thing. Hebrew Israelites do the same yep. thing. Mormons do the same thing. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's the well, same co thing. Cover ups, cover ups, consistent cover ups. That's not a good sign of a legitimate, right. trustworthy organization. If you have an organization that is consistently having to, uh, uh, stay afloat by covering up and hiding, suppressing truth. Um, that's, that's a red flag for sure. Um, I want to say real quick before you go on that star power fitness, we, we would totally do a part three um, conversation. We pr probably even could get Edgar um, for those that might be listening to this later on uh, star power fitness is a current member of the world mission society who we did a conversation slash slash debate with uh, two part and um, he's in the comments right now. And so, um, yeah, so we're glad he's here, but I just wanted to clarify that for those of you who might, might be confused. Um, uh, yeah. Go on Edgar. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, you know, basically, you know, there's just so many, there's so many inconsistencies with the church of God. There's a, but there's a lot of similarities to it, to a lot of, to a lot of cults as well like you know i mean members if if you if you feel that you know we're only attacking the world mission society church of god or you guys are the only ones that have you know the supposed truth i i encourage you to look up just a little bit about hebrew israelism and see what they're preaching out in the streets right now guess what one of their number one tools that they're using to recruit members is it's they're prophesying about world war three sound familiar and they say that world war three is going to happen and guess how the world's going to be destroyed nuclear war sound familiar and so these these ideas they're not new there's nothing new under the sun there's many there there's a lot of different calls that are preaching this the same thing and and, and it's funny it's like they always 
most people would not be in the church of God if it wasn't because they were they had the daylight scared out of them with those yeah. kind of prophecies. You know, but if you look at the Christian church, you know, the 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 the, the apostolic church, they were preaching peace in Jesus Christ, salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this sounds totally different. The gospel, the gospel message is totally different than a fear-based, you know, works-based salvation that is coming from these kind of groups. That's why they call them doomsday cults, right? They just yeah. thrive on, you know, these ideas of a, a end of the world and things getting terrible because, you know, it, it yeah, produces this fear in its members so that they then rely on the organization to show them the way to to provide the, you know, they 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 set up the problem. These these guys set up the problem and then they offer the solution to it. They create a, a, a false problem that, exactly. that isn't a problem in the first place, that, right. but they create the problem and then they offer the supposed solution to it. Um, it yeah, it's, it's just a. Like uh, it's like here's here here's the church of god logic they say th this is the problem we're all we're all going to die from world war three when nuclear war happens unless you receive the seal of god you need to receive the seal of god because if you don't this world war is going to destroy you you better be scared and you better come to the church and get baptized and saved right now because you you don't know if of tomorrow's promise to you be baptized immediately so even if you don't know anything that we're talking about as long as you know world war is coming and you need to come keep this seal of god come get baptized and you're all good right the problem with that is that they also in the same breath will tell you swear up and down that they preach everything straight out of the bible and that they're the only church that keeps jesus's words and god's words 100 well if that's true then didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 24 that the signs of the last days, many will say to, to you, you know, here is the Christ and do not believe him. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. So they're literally going against the Bible yet while claiming in the same breath that they follow the Bible 100%. They follow the Bible 100%. They wouldn't be trying to scare people with World War III and that they, you need to come only to their church to receive the seal of God because this scary war is going to annihilate, you know, the whole world except the World Mission Society Church of God. You know, it's mm -hmm. just pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, when you, I mean, like you're, you're emphasizing the fact that so many groups do this you know, that, that should immediately give anybody pause. Um, why, why, why would you believe this group is the one with the answers when there's, there's all these others out there saying the same thing, making the same false predictions? Um, you know, at some point you, you just have to realize and have to see that, you know, there's, there's something going on here. Something's up here. Um, and right. the, the, you know, there's just no way around it that that cult groups just love. They love these sort of. Th they love like the Daniel prophecies. They love the Revelation uh, prophecies because there's there's a certain vagueness to them that leaves them open to, you know, creating basically yeah. interpret. Yeah, you can kind of just do whatever you want with them, and then and then kind of stamp the the Bible. 
uh, Bible stamp of approval on it um, because, you know, there people aren't going to know, like, what what is Revelation talking about? You know, right. if you have somebody coming confidently saying, well, this is what it's about. And, the, the, you know, this this person is the Antichrist and this is when the world's going to end. And this is what you should do with your money. And this is what you should do with your, you know, your time and family and allegiance. Like, and, and if you don't, well, look what look what this confusing, vague book says. Like, I'm the one who tell, who knows what it says. And so you better listen to me. Yeah. It's just such a such a really just an evil, messed up sort of situation. <laughs> Uh, and again, and again, going back, to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but again, going no, you're back good. to to when they, you know, you basically trade away your your freedom and your common sense the moment you become a member, and they hand you the the supposed books of truth. Because what you're doing there is, as soon as you trust them enough to give you this literature, and they tell you, oh, with with these books, you're going to be able to understand the Bible so much better and so much easier mm-hmm. and c- clearer you don't realize what you're doing. You're actually setting yourself up because then what happens is you're only gonna understand the Bible the way they want you to understand the Bible. And you no longer have that freedom to, when you're reading the Bible for yourself, you you can't understand it by yourself because you've already have a lens that you're looking through. So you can't see anything else. That's why when you're reading these kind of prophecies, you're skipping over the verses that are not in the books that you were taught. You You go straight to the ones that you were taught that you have an understanding for. And so that that's one of the biggest problems when you actually go to the prophecy, when you read the whole chapter in context, that's when you see, wait a second, there's, I believe you said in one of your comments, uh, Jordan, you, uh, you said that there's a, you were, you were responding to a member and uh, you said the World Mission Society Church of God doctrine has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. <laughs> I was laughing so hard because it's true. Like, yeah. you know, when you, when you, when you look at these, when you look at Daniel chapter seven, for instance, like, you know, I just mentioned a couple, there's so many things. Ostrogoths being destroyed in 554, not 538. That, you know, that didn't happen. You know, uh, the Roman, they say the, the prophecy, the Roman Catholic church would lose its uh, power. You know, God was going to judge them at the end of the dark ages in 1798. Do you see the Roman Catholic church judged? Because I still see them live and well and kicking, right? <laughs> they're bringing in so much money right now. Like they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. fine, they're fine and, right. and well off, right? So there's many things. And then the most important thing of Daniel chapter seven that I touched on in the beginning is they stay, uh, that they mention about God's kingdom and they say that, that that represents them, that that represents the church of God, but they don't even understand what they're saying when they're, when they're talking about God's kingdom. For instance, in, in Daniel chapter seven, it says <clears throat> in verse, verse 26, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. So when you read this, the the, the main purpose of Daniel's prophecy is to show is the Messiah's kingdom coming into this earth. And when the uh, finally the culmination of all things is the Bible explains the all the kings of the earth, everyone's going to worship 
Jesus. They're going to worship God. That's the purpose of this last kingdom coming in to destroy. And they will, it, the Bible says they will remain forever. But see what the, what the world mission society church of God does is they contradict this. They mm -hmm. say, no, this, this kingdom, this Zion, it won't last forever because it was cut off during the dark ages. So the kingdom of God, that's the main point of this prophecy that Daniel says will remain forever and that all the people need to be led to Christ. They say, no, no way. Zion was destroyed. And that's why we need for a second coming of Christ to appear and to bring back the lost kingdom. Well, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ explained that when you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. So you read the book of Daniel in context, you read verses like Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, where the Bible explains God's kingdom, the church will never be destroyed. It will never be overcome. And then you have, again, the World Mission Society Church of God constantly contradicting scripture. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. <laughs> And it's just another example of how they do, they just create the problem, which is, oh, yeah. this, the, there is a gospel. There is a way to, you know, be saved, escape hell and all that. But, you know, all these other churches have lost touch with that. They, they've lost the truth. I mean, this is just every, every, you know, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. I mean, all these groups do that. They say, oh, look, that they will create some sort of argument about, why every other group is wrong and is only, you know, is controlled by Satan and, and all that. And, and why they are the only, the only group now with, with the truth. I mean, this is just, I mean, if, if you want to make yourself look like a, like a, a Christian cult, then, I mean, he, this is a pretty good first step as to how to, to do that because this is what they all do. Yeah, and, and it's funny because see in, in like in the book of Daniel, it explains, you know, at the at the end of the vision, it says in Daniel chapter twelve, it says seal up the words of prophecy because it, it's gonna talk about it's it's for a later date, right? But then when you get to the book of Revelation, it explains do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Yeah. So it doesn't tell you, you know, it tells you blessed are those who read aloud these words of prophecy and blessed are those who take it to heart because the time is near. So you're hearing two different things, you know, that some people claim, you know, they're, they have the exclusive truth in their church, but the Bible is communicating all of God's people need to read the Bible, understand the Bible, bless are those who take these words to heart because the time is near. And, you know, maybe when we get to Revelation, because I'm, I know right now, and, and I can just imagine that the Church of God members are saying, well, he hasn't, or maybe they're not, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure someone out there is thinking, well, okay, he he doesn't believe, you know, what, what we're saying the Antichrist is. So who does he say the Antichrist is? If the Roman Catholic Church isn't the Antichrist, then who is the Antichrist? Well, you know, to in order to understand that clearly 100%, that's why I said, you know, we need to go into the book of Revelation. I think Revelation is what's going to take up a lot a lot more time. We Revelation is going to make a lot more sense when we go back to Daniel's, it's going to bring it out because 
re really revelation is like the is is the fulfillment you know it, this is old testament is the shadow new testament is the reality there's a greater light there that's jesus christ so that's why we're able to when we look at the light of the new testament it's way more easier to look at the old testament and understand and especially revelation it has so many you know it's so much symbolism you know uh so much prophetic language but and people say people get scared of revelation because they say how can we understand it it's it's so prophetic it talks about these monsters and these beasts and these uh you know the, this uh, beast riding on a whore drinking blood with tin horns and it's it's so scary and how how are we able to understand it well that's why it's important to study your bibles because literally all the symbolism all the the prophetic language that's found in revelation guess where you can find it at in the old testament that's where john is john is using all this old testament terminology and he's bringing it to light in in the new testament remember he's speaking to a jewish audience that would know and understand these things because of their understanding of the old testament scriptures so you know, it's very important to understand the Old Testament in order to understand the New Testament. That's why it is good that we started in the in the uh, book of Daniels. But even uh, speaking of ju just to kind of uh, throw it out there, when I when when I uh, look at the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, uh, my understanding is people have overlooked that the prophecy of the Antichrist trying to throw it in the you know in the future with the roman catholic church not realizing that these prophecies were actually fulfilled 2000 years ago and one of the main persons that a lot of scholars a lot of christian apologists also are are leaning towards this idea it's, it's a very you know uh it's backed by scripture is the antichrist actually bearing uh nero nero caesar and so that would actually fit a lot more with scripture. For instance, let's go to the New Testament time. If we go to the New Testament and we go to, um, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And in verse 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. World Miss Society Church of God members, you should take note of this. <laughs> Don't be afraid <laughs> to test the spirits, but that's not the point. I'm sorry. Let's start again. Dear friends, that's a good point. <laughs> Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Huh? Was the Roman Catholic Church around at that time? No, it wasn't. So how does that make sense with their prophecy of Daniel chapter two and seven? Also kind of curious if you read this, 
it explains about the characteristics of the Antichrist, according to the apostles themselves. It says in verse two, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Does the Roman Catholic Church accept Jesus Christ coming in the flesh? Yes, I think they do. They might not have the, they might not have the correct gospel, but they know who Jesus is and they know he came in the flesh. So again, with these words, it doesn't add up because in verse three, it says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So again, it doesn't add up with their understanding of who the Antichrist is. According to John, the Antichrist was already in the world at that time, the spirit of the Antichrist. Let's go to another one. Let's go to uh, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three, it says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And in verse five, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So here in second Thessalonians, what does apostle Paul say? He says the man of lawlessness was already around at that time. Kind of strange because if you if, if think about it, right? If the if the according to SDA and World Mission Society Church of God, if the Antichrist is the Roman Catholic Church, they didn't appear until later. You couldn't understand the fulfillment until hundreds of years later. After that, Apostle Paul and Apostle John, the apostles of the early church, understood the Antichrist was already in the world. So then that begs the question: Who is the Antichrist? And so that's why I didn't want to get too much into it because in Daniel's it's kind of vague, but in Revelation, oh man, it's so amazing how we can, you know, understand uh, clearly, you know, what we, in Revelation, it's way easier to understand how the Roman Catholic Church does not fit the criteria to be the Antichrist and the audience and the time frame that the Apostle John explained when the Antichrist was going to appear and what the characteristics of him, you know, were going to be so that those people living in those days could understand clearly. And so, you know, looking forward to, you know, maybe one of these days we can do like a, you know, a part two of that, but, uh, yeah, for sure. For now, um, you know, I don't know if you got something else you want to add to that, Jordan, or if you want. No, nope. no, to I'm just, I'm just along for the ride right now. So. Okay. So yeah, go ahead. Oh well, I mean. Did you? Were you wanting to jump to Revelation? 
or was that where you were saying wait for another day? Yeah, because I think Revelation is going to take way, you know, yeah. way longer than than you know. And I feel like I don't, I won't do it justice if I just try to make it rush really through it. Quick. Yep. Yeah, rush through it. So if you want to, you know, if you got something else in mind that you want to, <laughs> yeah. Talk about, well, I guess what what I wanted to, what I'll guess I'll just add to that is I think that you know, there's a lot of assumptions about how one has to interpret you know, the, the prophecies that you might find in Daniel or revelation. And there's, there's this assumption. I don't know where exactly it, um, you know, how, how old the idea originated in, in church history, but sort of the assumption that, you know, when you look at, uh, just smack the mic. Oops. When you, when you look at revelation, Daniel, these places that it's referring to like the, the end of the world sort of scenario, like something that's still yet to come. And more and more when I've, um, you know, looked and, and rethought some of the, the prophecies, you know, like Jesus in the, the, uh, all of it discourse where he's talking about, um, you know, the, the end of the age and things like that. I, I, you know, this would, this would be, like you said, a whole other video to get into, but I think there's a lot more biblical historical reason to think that much of what he prophesied and was talking about um, was already fulfilled um, and, and was referring to events that would soon take place. You know, there's so many mentions uh, of things like that, where even in Revelation, he says, he, he talks about how these things must soon take place. And, you know, what you mentioned that he says, don't seal these things up. And Daniel, he said, seal these things up because, you know, there's a while until they're going to be fulfilled. In Revelation, he says, don't seal them up as if, like, it's very soon. And um, I think that much makes a lot more sense when you think about, you know, and I, to those who aren't familiar, like in 70 AD, there was the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the Roman um, army surrounded the city, burned it to the ground. And there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a group groups, different groups of people who, who look at like the prophecies in revelation and in Matthew 24 and see those as referring to that event. Um, and, to me, when I look at that, it, it, it just makes a lot more sense. And when I, you know, when I, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a problem that Christians kind of use revelation and they use, you know, not just cult groups like the WMSUG, but I, I've grown up with regular sort of like end of the world predictions and people predicting who the antichrist was. And, and, and it just seems like, you know, I kind of got to a point where I was like, man, what's like, what's going on here? Maybe we're just missing something because everybody is making these predictions and it's, it's always wrong. It's always wrong. And when you, when you start to kind of, I think, put together the, the history surrounding 70 AD. And then you look a little bit closer at some of the things that Jesus said. Um, you look, you understand what you were kind of touching on Edgar, that the, you know, revelation was written to a, a, you know, a Jewish audience who would have understood the symbolic language and the, you know, even just the genre of, of the book. And, um, 
there's there's just so much language being used that is drawn directly from the Old Testament. And these people would have understood that. They would have understood what these things meant and would have not, I would argue, would not have taken them to to mean so many of the things that we assume that they mean. Um, right. I don't think they would have thought that that these all these things were referring to like the the end of the world per se. But um and so, so I guess we can we can kind of wrap this up because I think it would be, be. I know that we got a couple questions. I think, but I I just think it's worth looking at. And I brought this up to a member. Um, but there's a, a verse in Matthew 24. Um, let me pull it up real quick. You're, you're so kind of getting me to want to want to touch on it, Jordan, because you're bringing up a I lot know. of the juicy <laughs> on there. Stirring it up. Um, it probably, I think you're right. It would be good to wait because I would like to be a little bit more um, prepared for it. But let me see here. Um, okay, so Matthew 24. Um, so Jesus is talking to the disciples. He talks about... And this is this is one that the does the WMSCOG use this passage too? Matthew twenty four, the yeah. whole chapter, or what verse specifically? I'm, I mean, that, I mean, this is this is one that you know is pretty easily taken as referring to end of the world events. So I'm just kind of assuming that they oh, yeah. probably like this chapter quite a bit. They love Matthew chapter twenty four. Yeah. Okay, they okay, love- that that's I kind of assume that. So. Um, so yeah, so Jesus talks about kind of like the signs of the, the end of the age. Um, and so if you skip down to verse 32, actually, this is the, the fig tree, <laughs> which I, I know that they do love this. Um, yeah. but he talks about how, you know, the, he, he says things like there will be tribulation. The sun will be dark and the moon won't give its light. Um, you know, there's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes, uh, false Christs are going to arise, all these things he talks about that are going to happen. And then if you skip to verse 34, he says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This generation. <laughs> so there was a, a a group of people surrounding Jesus and he was looking at them and saying, hey, everything I just said to you that that's going to happen the generation that is alive right now, this current existing generation, it will not pass away until these things that I just mentioned, all these things take place. <laughs> and so, you know, it, I've, I've almost reached the point where I look at this and say, okay, if all these people are right, that, you know, this is referring to the end of the world. This would, I mean, in many ways, it seems like that would make Jesus a false prophet because he predicted all these things were going to happen. And he said, this generation, like he put a, in a sense, he put like a, a, a date on it or not a, not a specific date, but he emphasized the, the, the time period that this would happen. Um, and so I think when you, when you look at this in light of thinking that, you know, if Jesus was referring, using all the symbolic language to refer to the events that happened in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem, I think rather than than this becoming like something that makes Jesus lose credibility, it actually, you know, 
strengthens sort of the idea that maybe he he had something to say here. Um, and it, it actually, I, I'd say, points to um, being more evidence that, that maybe Jesus did predict the future here in a sense, you know? And so I don't, I don't know for those of you listening, this is, this all might be brand new for a lot of people. It might be way over all of your heads and that's okay. This is something that would be maybe fun to get into a little bit more in the future. Um, because I think it's important. I think it's important just because so many people get caught up in, in the Bible with all these, these places that they think are just these, horrifically terrifying verses that are that are saying that any time now the world is just going to get horrible and and things are going getting worse and worse and then the antichrist is going to pop up and then there's going to be all these terrible things that happen and and i think that that sort of idea is not biblical and i think there's a lot better ways to understand what you know what revelation is actually talking about and what Jesus is referring to in places like this, where it seems like he's maybe referring to the end of the world. But I think a closer look would say that, well, that's not that's not really what he was even referring to. And when you understand the context and you understand the audience he was speaking to. And I just think there's a lot better ways of of understanding that. So go ahead, Edgar. Oh, man. So, yeah, I know we can't touch on Revelation. We'll say that for next time. But even Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24, you brought it up, right? It's very that's very important. Even with the verse that you mentioned about this generation will certainly not pass away. until all these things have happened. I can already see putting my member hat on. The yep. first thing that's coming on uh, in their mind is they're, they're thinking, well, but this is talking about the generation of when the fig tree would be fulfilled. So the generation th that will not pass will be the one where the fig tree was fulfilled, which according to them was in 1948. Right. But when you look at Matthew in context, that's not what it's saying. And Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its building. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So what is the first thing that Jesus Christ is mentioning? He, they're, they're walking. They see the temple. And the temple is a big deal in Israel at that time because the temple is the not it, it's the. The temple is the only way the Israelites had in the old covenant system to be able to communicate with God. So it is the biggest thing in the Jewish mind at that time was the temple. It was the most revered thing. And then you, you hear you have Jesus walking and saying, you see that? Not one stone will be left on another. And then the disciples says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this when? happen? <laughs> and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so what the what most cults do is they'll they'll take the, the latter part and say, when will these things happen? You know, whether it's the fig tree or whatever, and they want to apply it to the last days. But Jesus Christ mentioned the disciples question was, when would the temple be mm -hmm. destroyed because right. the temple being destroyed is connected to the sign of Christ's coming. And to uh, and, and even to to understand 100% that Jesus was talking to that generation, just flip the page in uh Matthew chapter 23 
look at what uh Jesus, the whole this whole chapter Jesus is going you know talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees to the Israelites right, exactly the, the yeah. people of that time and he says here in uh in verse verse 33 he says you snakes you brood of vipers how will you escape being condemned to hell therefore i am sending you prophets and sages and teachers some of them you will kill and crucify others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood <laughs> of righteous abel to the blood of zechariah son this, of berechiah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar truly i tell you all this will come on this generation jerusalem jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you how often i have longed to gather your children together as hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing look your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is direct prophecy to what was going to take place in AD 70. That is when their house was left to them desolate. That is when one stone was not left on another. And that is when Christ appeared on the clouds of heaven. That is not a time in the future, 2,000 years removed in 1948. No, that is God coming to judge the Israelites who did not believe. And all the blood that they shed from all the prophets was poured out just like Jesus prophesied in AD 70. Yeah, you brought up, so verse 35, so that on you... Again, speaking to the, the Jewish authorities on, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on uh, earth from the blood of Abel to Zechariah. I, truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So what generation? Well, he just said you, referring to those who were alive right then. He's saying this was going to come upon you, your generation. The, so God is, he was pronouncing this this judgment of God that was going to come upon the nation of Israel for their sin, for their uh, killing of the prophets that had been sent to them. And Jesus is saying, you guys, like you are sort of the culmination uh, of the sin and rebellion of Israel. And now you're going to get the judgment. You're going to get the judgment that is due to Israel. The, the blood is going to be on you. The guilt is going to be, you know, put on you. And this generation will not pass away until these things come to pass. So, so yeah. Then if you jump to 24, where he's again, Jesus says all these things, um, or uh, what does he say? This generation, generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. I think it becomes very clear that uh, all these things that Jesus spoke of that were going to happen, um, Jesus said they would happen to this generation, um, not some future generation, uh, yeah. not to me and you sitting here, but to that generation that he was speaking to. And so I think, again, like either either that's true or it seems like Jesus got it wrong. Um, right. Yeah. And, and if you if you read verse 15, it connects again, Daniel's 
Daniel's. And then you can also see where it's leading you to Revelation in verse 15. It says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Wichita, Kansas, South Korea, Europe. No, it says those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So he's talking to the audience, the, the Jews at that time. He's saying, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will, will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So Jesus Christ is mentioning and explaining 100% of the destruction that was coming to them in AD 70, even going as far as saying they better pray that it doesn't, their, their flight doesn't take place on a, on a Sabbath or in a winter. That's not because people are, are, uh, keeping the missing. Sabbath according to, yeah, the missing the Sabbath day according to World Messiah Church of God. But that's because the reason why you, that he was talking to the Jewish people who were keeping the Old Testament law. And when you're keeping the Sabbath in the, in the Old Testament, you're shutting the gates to the city, right? So it's harder for you to get out when that situation was to happen winter you don't want it to happen in in the in the winter time and this is exactly what happened when rome came they 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 felt israel was was asleep they had denied jesus christ god's people had already fled to the mountains remembering the words of matthew chapter 24 it's it's, it's actually it's history it's a matter of fact that the christians that were uh in the city of jerusalem when they saw rome come they fled to the mountains of pella and because they remember many, many of them based on Jesus's words, right? They, exactly. I mean, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, the people that stayed, it was all the people that had rejected Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus had already prophesied all the blood is going to come on them. And that was the generation that was judged AD 70. And it even brings up the book of Daniel. It says, look at what was spoken of through the prophet Daniel. And the reader is supposed to understand fulfillment is happening at that time when these things happen. So when we get to Revelation, man, it's 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 so amazing when we see like, you know, I think a lot of people, one of the biggest reasons is, you know, when people think of like Revelation and it being fulfilled, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know, that's kind of scary because if Revelation is already fulfilled, then what is there for me? Does Revelation now, like, what do I have to live for? If Revelation was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, if Daniel was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, then how can I, then, then basically I have no purpose, then God has no purpose for me. But if you, if using that logic, then what about Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans? Can you not find application? That was not written to you specifically to, to us in the 21st century here, you know, in the United States of America. It was written to specific churches. But yet, even though those things were already fulfilled, it, you can apply it to your life to this day. In the same right. way, Daniel's in Revelation, just because it was fulfilled doesn't mean that there's not things that apply to us nowadays and we still can receive those same applications. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it to me, this is just like this. This understanding of these things just makes um, these places in the Bible more 
what's the word? I guess b- believable in a sense. Uh, it, it doesn't less like a sci-fi sort of, you know, when you think about all these things in, in revelation, it's just like, it's like a sci-fi, like the a wacky sci-fi movie. And, and um, it's just kind of hard to believe that these, those things would literally take place. Um, but when you, when you start to understand again, the symbolic imagery that's being used, the hyper, language that Jesus uses and, uh, you know, John, and then you sort of tie that to the, the historical events and kind of see the correlation. You start to understand, oh, like he's not, you know, he's not literally meaning that like the, you know, the, the sun will turn or the moon will turn into like liquid blood. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like he, he, there was, um, yeah, it's just, it's just imagery to, exaggerated language to convey certain ideas. And, and again, you see this in, you see this being done. Uh, I think the reason that this is, is like a, a viable and uh, plausible and compelling view is because you see that throughout the old Testament, you see the old Testament prophets using all this exaggerated language for things. And then you see it happen. And, you know, they're referring often to historical uh, events Um you know, like what the one of the prophets, I can't remember which, but talks about, you know, God coming on the clouds, something about God coming on the clouds, riding with swift judgment or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, well, uh, did God did did was there a point in history when Israel looked up in the sky and, and literally saw God like surfing on the clouds and down in, in judgment? And well, no, again, that's just exaggerated language. And that's, I think, the same the same thing that's being done in, in Revelation. Uh, that is meant to convey sort of uh, uh, trying to convey like an emotion and a, a sense of the the urgency and the significance of these events. And, and so, yeah, I think that these things, when you, when I've thought about these things in that light, it, it for one, it makes Jesus's um, validity as a prophet a lot more like compelling and seems like this is, this is actually pretty good evidence for that. You know, when you see him in Matthew 24 saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. And then you actually look on the timeline of history and see that, oh, yeah, that did happen. Um, uh, that's compelling. When, when you think about it in terms of, oh, well, he's he's prophesying the end of the world. And then all that's produced is, is you know, religious group, Christian group after Christian group predicting the end of the world over and over and over again based on these these passages and getting it wrong like that starts to make Christianity as a whole look bad when, when you, if you assume that that's the way that those passages are meant to be understood. Um, so, so anyways, yeah, we could, we could go on and on with this, but you had a, you had a thought. Go ahead. I, I just, you brought up some, some really good points and it actually reminded me when we we're, when, when one of the first conversations we had, uh, Jordan, yep. you remember when we, uh, when, when we, when it was me and, uh, with the deacon and we yep. had met at the, at the coffee shop. And if you remember the first thing that was preached to you, do you remember the title? Was it the, the wedding, something with the wedding? Yes. Yes. Yep. The, 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 heavenly, the, the heavenly wedding banquet. Right. And so that's yeah. actually a very famous, one of the, their favorite prophecies to study with you because it's supposed to show you that, God the Mother is is the meet the true fulfillment of of that prophecy in the rest of the Bible, right? But 
again when when you know now that we're on the topic of you know how matthew how the whole bible is actually talking about this very significant event of ad 70 the the fact that ad 70 is so important is not just because israel was was judged but it's because it ushers in the new covenant age the old covenant age ends and the new covenant age begins and and that's literally like a lot of jesus theology when he's when he's preaching you know this is the gist of what he's trying to get at and you know going back to that parable i, I just want to share this i think this is really funny yeah, if we look if we look at it with the uh, with the lens of understanding how jesus was trying to make them understand what was about to happen to israel in ad 70 we can make a lot more sense of the bible than trying to make up these weird parables and having to add this plus this plus this plus this equals right. this it's not even talking about that look at look at this matthew chapter 22 this is one of the members favorite uh one of their favorite parables is the wedding banquet right they say the the meaning of the parable the hidden thing is that there's a there's a god the mother in south korea well let's read it in uh verse one jesus spoke to them again in parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So right off, they don't mention that part. They just read that part fast. The, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So here the father, the king is preparing a wedding banquet for his yeah. son, Jesus, right? Yeah. Funny how they don't mention but, that, yeah. right? Because when you, I, I'm immediately, I think we've maybe talked, I've talked about this with Stephen Kelsey, but if you actually stop, step back a minute and think about that, and you put that in, you think about that in light of the WMSCOG's mm -hmm. use of this, it creates some significant issues. Big problems. But think like, of modalism, ahead. right? Modalism. Oh, and it gets better. It gets better. Watch this. So it says, verse three, he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So who was invited? Who was invited? Who who were the who were the ones the servants that were being sent to tell people to to come? Is the prophets right? The, all the prophets were sent out from the Old Testament time all the way up until Jesus time, and they were constantly inviting people to the wedding banquet, even at the time of Jesus Christ. And so it says, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said tell those who have been invited that i have prepared my dinner my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready come to the wedding banquet why jesus is there christ is there the one that the king prepared the wedding banquet for the one that the all the prophets were sent out to usher in this messiah it's ready he's here right it says right. verse five but they paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them, right? So who, who fulfilled this prophecy? The Israelites, the Jewish people yeah. were killing the prophets, the apostles, right? That's why in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus Christ says all the blood of all the righteous prophets will be put on this generation. But it gets better. Look in verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So, huh? I thought Matthew chapter twenty-two is talking about a uh, uh, God the Mother, God in South wedding, Korea. Yeah. But actually, when we read it in context, 
the purpose was to show that because the the people that were supposed to be participating in this wedding banquet rejected the king's son and ended up killing the servants and even the son what was the the king going to do he said he sent the army what army was that rome and what did they do it said it, they would burn down their city that happened ad 70. but see you'll never get that far with the church of god because they only want to keep you at the first couple of lines and then they have to go to plus this plus this plus this plus this and gets you completely off topic you have no understanding no context of the scriptures whatsoever and so like again you're just understanding the scriptures from their lens their point of view and you're just completely lost yep but yeah, there's there's so much in there. Again, this is this is a fascinating kind of discussion for me, and I, I don't know how many people are even hanging on at this point. But hopefully, somebody um, listening to this at some point will will get something out of this. <laughs> this is I think this is really interesting. I mean, you, the this is just another example I think uh, of of when you actually start to look at Jesus's words and you put them all together, you see that man when he says stuff like this, he's not referring to some vague like future end of the world thing you know he's not talking about you and and me he's he's talking about then and now and those people there he's, he's talking about this this nation god's chosen people who had continually over the years since abel you know killed the uh prophets gods had sent prophets over and over and they had killed them they'd persecuted them finally he sent his son and and they did the same to him and and so he 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 had invited them to be participants in this thing that they refused and so he's saying okay well now your city is going to be burned and destroyed um and so yeah i think there's there's so many things here that to me are just very apparent that this is a reference to that judgment in 70 ad and um and yeah, and so, but but if you think about like how this begins, and maybe tell me if you can put your member hat on, like the, the kingdom of heaven, he says in verse two, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Okay, so this is supposed to be about mother God, right? This is like, the, so how, how would they go from here? Would they say like, okay, well, who is the, who is the bride here? I mean, what what would they... Because they would yeah, say, like, well, who's the invited, right? Like, we're the invited, so who's the bride? Right. Right. So so it's 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 really sleight of hand what they what they do here. Like if I'm if I'm putting my member hat on, I'm trying to skip past the first the first verse, <laughs> the first two verses can. as fast as I can. Yeah. Don't pay attention to that, you know. Oh, yeah. who's the who's the son or the king? Oh, that, that that's God the Father. But anyway, let's get back to the actual parable, right? Even yeah. though that is part of the parable, he already started the parable. <laughs> no, 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 that's not the parable. Let's get yeah. to the to what we want to say, then they yeah. say, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And then they say, you see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, why is it compared to a wedding banquet? The, if you want to know what heaven is like, you have to know what this wedding banquet is all about. Why is Jesus mentioning it? Why is he saying that it, it, if you understand this wedding banquet, you'll understand heaven? So then they then here's here's the sleight of hand. Before you keep reading, they have to add their words. So now they say, so in a wedding, 
in order for a wedding to take place, who has to exist? It has to be a, a, a bridegroom, right? And a, and a bride, right? Yeah. And, and guests. If, if, the, if the bride's not there, a wedding can't take place. So when you read this parable, it talks about a bridegroom. It talks about guests, but there's no mention of a what? bride. That must mean, because the bride is not mentioned there, the parable, the secret hidden thing that Jesus is trying to show is that that, uh, that wife, that bride is going to appear in the last days. Ah. Why, why is that? Because in a wedding, in a physical wedding, how does a wedding take place? The, the bridegroom is there in the, you know, in the, in the, in the altar, the guests are there. And then who appears at the very end? It's the what? Bride. And then they, they'll go the da -na -na -na, da -na -na -na, right? The bride comes. Then uh -huh. wa voila, you see the bride has to appear at the very end. That's why the bride was not mentioned. That's why in the last days, the bride finally appears. But and so you kind of see you kind of see where I'm yeah, going yeah. with this. But, yeah. but again, you have to add those words in there. You have to start talking about. Well, he's not talking about the bride. He's not. There's a reason why Jesus Christ didn't mention a bride is because that's not the that wasn't the that's point not of the it. Point. Yeah. The the point is the the wedding banquet was set up for the son, and he's trying to bring all the guests, the literally the bride. That he's trying to bring them in. But what are they doing? They're rejecting him. And because of that, because they rejected the Messiah and killed him, this is why God was going to bring judgment upon that generation. And that's literally the point if you read it in context. Isn't it amazing, though, that they take the thing Jesus leaves out the bride because that's not the point And that's just not uh, an important part of, of conveying what he's trying to convey here in other places. He does mention a bride right. because it, it it's more important and integral to him uh, getting across his point here. He leaves that out because it's, it's not the point. So they take what Jesus specifically leaves out because it's not his point. And then they try to make that the very point of what he's saying. Like right. how, how, you know, how much more could you try to like completely miss the point of what Jesus is trying to do here? Yeah, and, and cut out the most important part, which was about the destruction of Jerusalem and the warning. It's yeah, like they neglect Jesus' words. They, they, they could care. This is the honest truth. They could care less Jesus' actual words. Mm -hmm. They only want to quote the verses that benefits that they can their use. doctrine. Yep. That's it. Yep. They don't care. They don't have like a, a, a an actual respect and reverence for what Jesus actually. They're not approaching the Bible with this humble attitude of, okay, this has something to say. I want to know what this says. It, they're they're approaching it with the idea of, I need this to convey a certain message that that lines up with my agenda. So let's go into this and figure out how can we pull out of this ideas that match my my Bias. already pre-assumed you know belief system um but but an another problem with this edgar is you know if they say well why did jesus jesus who's left out here the bride is left out so that must mean that's jesus's the, the secret is hidden here well well who else is left out here well first off he mentions a king who's the king 
like, and this is, this is a genuine question. Like in, if, if you were a WMSCOG member and I asked you that, cause I really don't know, like, who do they think the King is? They stay away from that. Like, uh, those, I mean, some will say God, the father, but they won't, they won't uh, stay on that because they're just going to, if you really put someone on the spot, you know, a member in the church, like who's the king and who's the son? They're all, oh, that's just God the Father. They'll just group it all as one. Yeah. That's God the Father to make you like just skip. I've literally seen deacons. I've seen missionaries go over these. I remember asking a deacon specifically on a Zoom, you know, uh, a question about, you know, modalism in First Corinthians chapter 15, which is kind of the same gist of what Jesus is saying. He's separating the father and the son. I asked a question of First Corinthians chapter 15 about when Paul separates the father and the son. I said, why does it do that? Why does it sound like that? He said, oh, brother, you just need to study more about the, the Trinity. That's, that's just God the father. Later, when you study and you pray, you'll, you'll understand. No, that's the problem is I have studied. <laughs> yeah, right. Read, that is the problem. And it does, it does not add enough, you know? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's so crazy how even the deception of the leadership all the way up, even they themselves are deceived, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chrissy Mendez. Hello. Glad you're here. She said, um, transitions are the glue that holds their twisted doctrine together. Yeah. That's so true. The, and transitions, we've we've talked about those a little bit in the past, but it's just kind of the way that they they jump from from verse to verse and make it appear as if there's like a, a legitimate connection and, and like a, a a stream of of like thought that runs through these verses, but really they're just they're just anything that you know. Uh, it goes back to that they're not looking, approaching the text, trying to actually figure out what it's actually saying. They're approaching it with assumptions about what they want it to say and then finding any possible way they can connect it to their doctrine and, and connecting verses and jumping from verse to verse. Um, go ahead. You had a it, it, it's so sad, Jordan, because like how you said, they're so preoccupied with that. But again, it goes back to when they, when they accepted, you know, th things like this. The moment you start accepting, you know, the, the all these organizations materials, mm -hmm. you trade away that freedom for you to study the scriptures and come to an honest understanding of what God is trying to tell you through his holy word. And, and that's scary. It's, it's so sad to me because, again, it's not that they can't read. The problem is when, when you give somebody a book and tell them this is the most important things of the Bible, this is what makes you understand the Bible. Well, when you go to that sermon book and you read Matthew chapter 22 and it begins to explain the parable of the wedding banquet, it doesn't tell you to read over that verse or to focus on that verse. These books literally tell you this is what you need to focus on. This is what you need to explain. This is what it means. This is what you have to add. These are the words you got to throw in and, and you're just, you know, and you're just accepting all of it. And, and again, you never get to deal with the, with the word of God, the inspired word of God. And you're to all the members that are listening, you're missing out on so much beautiful. The, the Bible is not confusing. It's really not. The Bible is in harmony. The 66 books of the Bible are in harmony with one another. It's one most important uh, picture. The And the picture that the Bible paints is Jesus Christ. And it, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you, you, you brought up the fact that they, they, 
get you when they get you to read their books and accept their books. Like when you accept their materials, that's kind of where you, you, you're kind of in a, in a bad situation. And would you, would you say that they almost in a similar way to, they kind of make you fear going to the internet. Do you think that there's a similar way that they make you fear um, or apprehend reading the Bible like on its own without the without the WMSCOG materials. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's like it, it, for sure. It's it's implied, you know. Like uh, they're never going to tell you don't read the Bible because then you're just going to be like, what, you know? But it's it, it's what the it's what they don't say. It's how they imply. Like you know, oh, I want to. Hey, I just got baptized. You know, uh, let me study the Bible for myself. And you know, because you brought up a lot of interesting things that I've never heard about. So let me, you know, let me go back to my house and study for a bit. And then I'll come back and try to make sense of this. Oh, no, 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 no. You got to come with us. You're, you're a baby in the truth. You, you don't understand these things. You, you need us to teach you. You need us to teach you what is the truth. Only we know what is the truth. You got to come to our Bible studies because all the whole world is Babylon and they're going to lead you astray and you're going to have the mark of the beast and yada, yada, yada. Right. And case in point is only it's the truth is only exclusive to them. And that's the same story, you know, repeated by all these different groups. They're the only ones that know the truth and stay away from, you know, they don't like, like, again, they hand you these books for a reason. They hand you these books so that you already understand the Bible according to their understanding. So, you know, in in a way, by doing that, they're keeping you from actually reading the entire Bible. Because when you have these books, what do they what does it make you think? All I need to know about the Bible is in these books. Mm -hmm. This has the main stuff. Books, this has the main stuff. Exactly. And if it's not in these books, it must not be that important. Yep. <laughs> Got you. Yep. Exactly. Um, so hold on. I had a, yeah, here we go. Um, Han <laughs> says, Who, who's the spiritual flower girl and best man? And, and that's like, that's, he's saying that comedically but no honestly yeah, like true. Yeah. because if you if you look at the if you take the WMSCOG's arguments like really uh, so often you can refute and display how ridiculous the World Mission Society Church of God's arguments are simply by using their arguments those same arguments in a different context so i mean for for example when they say hey well, look at this parable. Who did Jesus leave out? He left out the bride. That must mean the bride is the secret that Jesus is, is really wanting to reveal here. Well, then you can just simply go back up and say, well, wait a minute. Somebody else was left out here. There is a king. Very There's a specifically the king was mentioned. Well, if a king has a son, then who's missing in that scenario to have to allow a king to have a son? Well, a queen or a, a wife of the king. So why did Jesus specifically mention a king and then conveniently leave out uh, 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 the queen or his wife? Oh, that must mean that there's a, a, a God, the grandmother, you know, not only is there a, a, a bride who is, who is another deity, but there must be a, a another, you know, female deity even above that one. Um, you know, and, and so doing that, you know, it, it sounds 
ridiculous because it is. And if I, if you use that with a WMSCOG member, I almost guarantee that they'd probably be like, Oh, pff, they would, they would act as if you're just doing some ridiculous thing. Like even right now, members, if that, if a member hears me saying that they'd be like, Oh, pff, that's, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm literally, literally doing exactly what you just did. I'm using right. the exact same argument that you did. Um, and so you, you can use, you, you can show how ridiculous their arguments are simply by using those same arguments in sort of a different context. And hopefully that, that can help them see it, it should help you and them see just how irrational and, and bad their reasoning is and, and the way that they, you know, interpret the, these passages. It's just, it doesn't mm -hmm. work. Remember, Jordan, though, they're the only ones that have the right to pick and choose what the verse oh, yeah. means. So, yeah, we, oh, we, yeah. The moment you do it. I have an opinion, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you do it, boy, yeah, yeah. You're, you're way off. <laughs> okay, well, there's a couple questions that have come uh, up. We've got a couple super chats, and I always want to try to answer those. Also, sorry about the uh, spam stuff going on in the the comments guys we got some some love dating sites popping up i don't know <laughs> if, if any of you guys are um hopefully not clicking on that um but that's yeah that's kind of weird because i blocked that's popped up like five or six times and i think kelsey's removed them and i'm blocking them and they keep popping back in so i don't know if they're making a new account and coming back in right. um their persistence makes me wonder if maybe there's a a connection to an unnamed cult group that, that I won't <laughs> specify, but <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to go back and let's just um, talk about this uh, question from Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you for the super chat. Um, so she said, can you go over when WMS members respond to our questions by saying, they won't engage because they don't give pearls to pigs. How that's just a cop out. Yeah. So what she's referring to is, and what they're referring to is there's the, uh, I think it's Jesus who talks about not casting your, your pearls before swine don't give to dogs what is holy. And so a lot of times and in the comments, I think specifically, I think she's maybe been getting this in some of her conversations recently when she asked them, ask members to maybe back up their position or maybe challenges them with something, they will respond by saying, well, I'm not going to give my, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine, um, which is basically their way of saying, well, I'm not going to even say anything to you. I'm not, I don't, I don't need to try to prove or give you evidence because you're a pig basically you're a spiritual pig and you're just going to yeah. trample the truth, you know? So, I mean, at the, if, if you get to the heart of it, it's just a, uh, an underhanded way of saying you are an evil, sinful person who just doesn't want the truth. You don't want to hear the truth and you're just stuck in your rebellious ways. And so I'm not obligated to, to say anything about why I believe what I believe. Um, and, and I think, like you said, Kelsey, I think it, it, at at the heart of it, it really is a cop out. It's a cop out to to avoid having to give a 
um, a rational explanation or, or reason uh, for why they believe what they believe. It, it's a, it's a way to avoid having to engage in, in just uh, intellectual conversation. Um, I think a lot of times that's what it is. Um, what do you think Edgar about that, that response? Yeah, that, I mean, it's true. It, it, it really is. It's just a cop out, you know, because they run into people that doesn't accept their doctrine all the time, yet they don't hesitate, you know, to to preach to their heart's content. It's always when they run into troubles with someone that knows a little bit about the Bible, that's going to give them a little bit of friction, right? That's not going to just accept everything that's coming, that's going to question. That's when, oh, well, I don't want to throw my pearls to pigs, but they're taking that verse out of context. The, you know, let's look at, they say the church of God says, we follow the Bible. We do what the Bible says, right? Well, what does the Bible say? Let's let's be clear because that's vague. Let's be clear what the Bible says. Let's go to First uh, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, and in verse fifteen, it says, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord." Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So the Bible tells you, God is telling you, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks a question, right? And it says it to, to give an answer, how? With gentleness and respect. Church of God members, you need to understand when we're, out, when we're asked answering questions also, you need to do it with gentleness and respect. And if you're not showing that gentleness and respect, if you're just calling somebody blind without knowing them or telling them, you know, you're a false prophet, you're a, you know, you're, you're a, you're following Satan and you're going to go to hell that's not gentleness and respect. We prove all things through the Bible. Be ready to give an answer. Just saying somebody's a false prophet and going to hell without actually addressing what they're saying, that's a cop-out. You're not yeah. making the church of God look good, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it'd be interesting to take that verse you just read and then go read all those comments that have come on that video of yours that I, that I, that I mentioned and see <laughs> our members, you know, they emphasize obeying the commandments of God. Well, what you just read is a commandment to give an answer with gentleness and respect. And how often do you see members in the comments being anything but gentle and respectful to, to us or to people who don't believe what they believe um, they're aggressive. They're, insulting they are self-righteous and demeaning and they they are very obviously don't don't care about those who they think are on their way to hell they have this just anger and aggression and sort of like you're going to get what you ask for sort of attitude um and so yeah so you, they can emphasize all they want like keeping the commandments of God and, and and how important God's commands are but you know then there's things like this that that I would say are pretty clearly um, more important commandments than keeping a, a festival or a, a you know a, 
a holy day, you know, how we treat others is, is much more high on the importance list of, of, of God than whether or not we're attending certain, um, festivals or holy days. I mean, what's the, what's the point of the feasts in the holy days? Are they not to bring us in touch with, with God more and to, to help us to know him more so that we can love and serve our fellow man in, in a more, you know, uh, humble and compassionate way. And so, so yeah, so it's just such a perfect example of, of, you know, straining out of that and swallowing, swallowing a camel of, of emphasizing like the, the lesser um, matters of the law and neglecting the weightier matters. Um, I, yeah. I also, I also think Jordan that one that they get so upset, you know, that that's one of the main reasons why the, the you know, the, the cop outs and everything is because they feel in their hearts that no one has the right to speak a word, uh, a bad word against the World Mission Society Church of God. They feel that if by doing that, that, you know, you're, you're, you know, they have all the right in the world to, you know, uh, to, judge yeah. you and con condemn you to hell, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that, you know, yeah. and, and it just and, doesn't and, that in its sorry, but doesn't that in itself just show how out of touch they are with the Bible? I mean, just how, how out of touch they are with what the Bible is really all about and the things that are really important in the Bible. Like they, they think they think they're really in tune with with like the Bible and the core message that it's about. And, and they would say it's things like Passover and Sabbath. But but the fact that they act that way just shows how truly out of touch they are with what the heart of the the. I think the heart of the scriptures are really all about, but sorry, I, I cut you off. No, no, no. That, that's a good point because it's true. It's true. And, you know, uh, you know, it's sad because again, like they, I said, they just feel they're, they're so out of touch with reality. They feel that you can't say nothing about them yet. They're just literally every single day and all the world mission society, church of God, churches around the world, they're going out and judging everybody and telling them that if you, you know, just believe in Jesus, if you, you know, if you're following, you know, mainstream Christianity, you're following, you know, what you've been taught. And it doesn't matter if you believe it with all your heart, soul and mind, you're going to hell and everyone's going to hell unless you're part of the World Mission Society Church of God. Right. So they have the right to put everyone down. But the moment you say something about them, oh, that's out of bounds. But look what the let me just share another scripture real quick in Second Corinthians chapter 10. Church of God members is not because you guys are special that we're, you know, uh, talking about you guys. The reason why it's important to do this is because the Bible literally commands us to do this in Second Corinthians chapter uh, 10. And this happens to all the, the cults around the world. There's a lot of Christians that are, take their time to, you know, dismantle the false doctrine of, of a lot of these cults nowadays. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God 
and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the Bible tells us, right, that we're called to destroy every lofty, every opinion, any kind of argument that is going against the wisdom and the knowledge of God. This is what the apostles did. This is what the early church did. We can see examples of that with Apostle Paul going into the synagogues and reasoning with them from the scriptures gently and respectfully. We can see Apollos doing it in the book of Acts when he's publicly debating the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we can see this throughout the scriptures. Jesus always teaching with the scriptures, asking questions, right? These, th this is how it's supposed to be done. So when we, when we're questioning the doctrine of, you know, and, and I've said it before, I, I can speak on the, you know, World Mission Society Church of God. I was a member, you know, for 11 years. That's why I want to, I want to, you know, help people that are inside this cult. But I'm, it's not just for that cult. I talk to people outside of, you know, the World Mission Society Church of God. Any, any kind of false gospel that's out there as Christians, we're, we're commanded to tell, let people know what the truth is in Jesus Christ. And Jordan, you do the same thing, man. So, I mean, really, we have nothing to be ashamed about. We're honestly keeping, we're following the scriptures more than what the World Mission Society Church of God thinks they are, you know. So Sarah said they have a victim mentality. Poor me, yet judge everyone else. Yeah, and that's I mean, kind of I think what you touched on, Edgar, is that they'll you know get so so uh, angry, so defensive, so like just act as if it's such a strange thing when, when people like me or you will speak out against the church. And, and we get one of the most common things we hear and have heard over the past several years from members and the comments is, why are you picking on this group? Why are you just, just making videos about this group? And so what, what I always say, and what I think members, if you're a WMSCOG member, what you need to remember is that we didn't start it you guys did the WMSCOG did like your doctrines, your, your doctrines are based upon this foundation that condemns every other church, every other pastor, every other religious group as being basically Satan. Um, you're, you, you know, if you go preach, if you're going out and preaching, one of the first things you're telling people, uh, one of the first things you're trying to convince people of is that, Hey, Every other church except ours is evil and and is satanic and, and is really not worshiping God. And so you are belittling and attacking every other group. And then when then when people like us come on and say, hey, we think there's some problems with the WMSCOG, you're like, oh, what? How can you how can you talk bad about us? Like what, what's wrong with you? Like, how can you possibly, you know, speak yeah. negatively? Like just go mind your own business sort of deal. And so, so what I'm starting to say is, Hey, like I'll stop making videos when you guys stop preaching that every other church is of Satan. When you guys stop preaching that you are the only true church and every other church is evil and has it wrong. I'll, when you stop doing that, I'll stop the channel. I'll shut it down. Um, so there you go. There's, there's a deal. And, and and check this out. Uh, it's kind of funny because all the people that are that are attacking, you know, Jordan, you know, telling you, you know, like, hey, you know, why are you picking on the church? Why are you saying this and that? I, I can testify. We brought it to them. 
right? We we approached you guys, right? It was the it was me being part of the World Mission Society Church of God who went and and uh, the the members that I was with, you know, started preaching to your brother in law, right? And then from mm-hmm. there we set up a time and we went there willingly, ready to you know tell you that you weren't gonna be saved, that you were gonna go to hell, that you were in Babylon, right? We did we did all that. So yeah. members can't blame you for, for uh, you know, doing this when responding, literally yeah. exactly you're responding to what we brought to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, so, exactly. And it, exactly. And it's kind of it's kind of funny because it's like, could you imagine the, just imagine the logic? I, so that's why sometimes I think, like, do they really as much as they say they study in the Bible there? What are they really doing? Because mm-hmm. how can you miss like look at the logic? Don't talk anything about, uh, you know, especially ex-members. Don't, how can you talk about the church? How can you, uh, I've heard comparisons of, oh, it's a, it's like an X. There's no good breakups. There's oh, yeah. a, you know, uh, how can you do that? That's because he's sour. That's because of that. So then maybe Apostle Paul was sour. Maybe Apostle Paul had a bad breakup when he was going into the Jewish synagogues that he was a part of mm-hmm. and going back to those very people and preaching to them. You want to a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> exactly. It's because, you know, even Apostle Paul, it took me a while to realize this. I mean, he was he was sent to, you know, Paul's known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Why was he going to the to the Jewish synagogues then if he was sent to to the Gentiles? Well, he could relate to the people that was in the synagogues. He probably knew a lot of the people in the synagogues and he could relate and understand where they were coming from because he was very well versed in what they understood at that time and that that belief system. So that's why he was there. He was there to, you know, be able to help them. And I honestly believe that that's why God put Apostle Paul, you know, in in uh, uh, Judaism in the first place, because God had a plan for him to use him to, you know, help people come out of there. And I think that everybody, everybody has a role, you know, in, in God's kingdom. Like you don't necessarily have to be a part of a cult or, you know, or, or anything like that everyone has a different role in a different part in god's kingdom and god's god needs these people in different places to reach people like for instance you know jordan god put people in your life that only you have access to you know family members neighbors that maybe through you, you're the only person that can deliver the gospel to them. In the same way, someone come, you know, going into prison, right? For an example, he goes into prison. That man has a conversion. He can preach to the people that are inside of there. Or they already go in there being a Christian or someone at the hospital, you know, and, and, and God has all these, you know, and, and roles for every single one of us. And it's just, it's so amusing to me when I hear, you know, the cults get, you know, mad. Don't talk about our church. Don't, don't say this. Don't say that. And they, they're not seeing, you know, God's will behind all of this. And now speaking about God's will, that just reminded me, I can't wait till you get to the part where we're going to answer some of the questions. Cause I read some, uh, one of the questions on the video you sent me about somebody saying that we're not doing God's will and that something like that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, let me see. There was another question and let me see if I can find it here and then we can get to the, yeah. So there's this other super chat. Then we can get to that video and maybe just look at a couple of those before we, we end it. 
Um, and yeah, that, that spam thing keeps popping up. That is really weird. Um, because yeah, I'm trying to block, I'm trying to block it and somehow it keeps getting through. So yeah, I don't know why that is, but, um, yeah, I trust that you guys aren't too bothered, bothered by that. Um, maybe, maybe somebody needs a good dating site tonight. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not better not. <laughs> I know we all know you don't even have to say yeah. it. We know what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> So, uh, Soul Rebel, thank you for the super chat. And she asked Edgar uh, for your thoughts on Mark 2.19. Okay, uh, let me go to that. That's about the fasting, isn't it? Mark 2.19. Let me see. I'll pull it up, too. Uh, so yes. Mark two nineteen, yeah. Jesus answered, "How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them." Hmm. Okay. So what what was the question about that? I don't like, think there's a specific question. Is more just thoughts. Um, they asked if you had thoughts, <laughs> which you don't have to have any thoughts. I mean that. Um, well, I, I know the, let's see, it was a reference when we were talking about the bridegroom and the, oh, okay, okay, so, so I'm assuming like, because the World Mission Church of God uses this verse to say to separate the the guest from the, um, from the bride, uh -huh. so they say, look, here God's people are, are the guests, so how can they be the bride, right, yeah. but the Bible right. shows us and you know there's there's different verses in the bible that explain to us that the guest and the bride can be synonymous with each other if you if you read that's not even the point of mark chapter 2 19 again this is just a verse they use to you know misconstrue and try, try to throw you off of you know the main point it says in verse 19 jesus answered how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them they cannot so long as they have him with them but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast so this is talking about when jesus christ is going to be taken from them when he's when he's going to be uh killed crucified this is what the point of mark chapter 2 verse 19 is how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them while he is still alive but again in, in you know other verses in the bible like ephesians the bible explains that the god's people are the bride so in one instance where god were the invited another instance where the bride it's interchangeable it's the one thing that doesn't change is the bridegroom yeah i mean like you could just this is again where you could just take their arguments and use it right back against them because don't they they emphasize i mean this is something you emphasized in our first meeting yeah. edgar that hey different different words had different meanings or or sometimes in the bible one thing will have a meaning one meaning somewhere and then in another place it will have another meaning and so um you could kind of just use that here and say that hey well yeah the the in this analogy like the disciples were the guests um but that's because that was just the point of this analogy in other places they are the bride and so you know if jesus wanted this to this mark 219 to like 
be some sort of pointer to a, a mysterious, you know, uh, a bride. He, w- he would have mentioned the bride. He, he left the bride out of this because that's not the point. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think you could, you know, if they use this to say, hey, well, look, in this place, we are, you know, the, the, the followers of Christ are the guests. So who are who's the bride? Well, in other places, they are the bride. You know, the church is the bride. Right. And so it's just, yeah, it's just. Context. Um, yeah. Context. Context is everything. Like you, Jordan just gave the perfect answer. In this verse, it says that the, the, um, that the guests are God's people. Okay, I accept 100%. Amen, right? What's the problem? No issue. You go to another verse like Ephesians, the Bible says that God's people are compared to the bride. What's the problem? No problem. 100% agree. Amen. So according to the context is the most important thing. And uh, when it's talking about the bride in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21, what's the context, right? See, again, it goes back to what they try to do is They'll say this plus this plus this equals the context over here. The context in these three verses, we're leading you up to believe that this last one, this climax that we're trying to get to, the main point of these three verses is the gist of this last one. It's not how it works. Context. Every verse, every chapter before, this is to anyone that goes to any group. It does. It's not just to the World Mission Society Church of God. Always read the context. Always understand what you're reading before you just agree with something. And and don't just believe somebody. You know, even recently, you know, I was I went with a friend to a church. We were at an apostolic church, and uh, you know, a guy brought out you know a book, and uh, he was preaching out of that book. And you know, when he was preaching out of that book, right away, like I was like, there's certain things that you know I don't agree with, and I called him out on it. You know, and we had a we had a loving conversation with respect and gentleness. But again, you know, you have to, you have to do that because if not, we're just going to accept anything, you know, that is presented to us. And the Bible doesn't call us to do that. The Bible tells us to test the spirits. You can hear everyone out, but be like the Berean Jews and examine for yourselves to see if what you heard was true and if it aligns with scripture. Yep. All right. Well, let's, get to I'm gonna pull up that video real quick and we will look at a few comments if if you guys do uh, you guys in the chat still if you have uh, or anybody watching if you have questions um, for myself or Edgar uh, feel free to put those down now and and um, we will get to those if we if we can we're, what we're gonna do um, to, to probably kind of end this is to look at a um, a video. This is a short video I posted, just a little clip for my interview with Edgar that I posted to YouTube. Uh, it's been several months now, but it seems like I'm looking at it now. It has 82 comments on it, and I was scrolling through those today, and um, the majority of the ones I was seeing are from angry <laughs> members, angry members of the WMSCOG. Um, so let's. Um, Edgar, I think you said you had one that you wanted to to look at. Well, obviously, we're not going to get to 82 comments. I thought we would just scroll, th- <laughs> yeah. scroll through some of these and pull out some of the ones that maybe stand out. 
Yeah, honestly, honestly, I didn't even get a chance to look at all of them. I was at work when you sent me that text message and I just kind of looked at it real quick. And one yeah. of the ones that I saw was they were talking about um, they were basically making fun of me in the video saying that um, that I, I don't have no peace or that I'm not going to. It was a few comments that said I'm not going to yeah. find peace uh, or that, uh, yeah. you know, I, I well, can never get peace or. Well, you know, this might be, this will be kind of a good example of what we were talking about. And I will, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put, I'm going to put a link right now in the chat and I'm going to put, put a reminder for myself to link to this video in the description, uh, later on. Um, because I feel like a lot of what we talked about, sorry. I cannot multitask. A lot of what we talked about tonight um, is going to be pretty much like displayed and given evidence for in in the comments you see here. So I'll just let's just I'm going to read a couple of these just to kind of give you guys a sample. And again, I just put that link in the the comments um, or the chat if you guys want to pull that up yourself and read some of these comments. But let's just listen to. So Edgar, you have Edgar kind of burying his heart. Right or wrong, there's a guy who is just sharing his his thoughts, sharing his uh, experience in the church, and this is how uh, members are responding. Um, so, if you so Peter, uh, a guy named Peter said, if you really want eternal life, you need to do what God tells you to do. Then he quotes John five thirty nine. Um, then questions about SCJ. How dare this blasphemer speak out against God's <laughs> chosen promised pastor? Oh, wait, wrong call. Okay, that, that was a joke. I thought that was a real comment. That's, that's funny, though. <laughs> oh, wait, wrong call. Oh, that's funny. Um, okay. Important thing, Peter, uh, another comment from Peter says, important thing is that you need to live forever. Therefore, unless you keep Sabbath, Passover, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, trying to find some of the, the meaner ones. Uh, P oh, here's P PSI. Some guy named PSI said, no, you never have peace. Stop projecting Hermanito. Is that brother? Yeah. That's like saying like little brother or something like that. Little brother. Okay. Yeah. So he says, you never have peace. I think the, I guess what he's saying then there is that other people do. Um, Another person says, so you're upset that they are asking you to do the will of God. So Edgar, in this clip, if, if you guys haven't seen it in this clip, Edgar, basically you shared about how in while you were a member, you didn't have any peace. And the more, you know, the more rules that the WMCOG gave you and the more you kept them, the more they kind of added to that. And, and basically the more you do, the more you have to do. And so there, there's not ever peace under that system is kind of what you're conveying. And so a lot of people are obviously kind of getting, getting after you for that, but um, I'm having trouble seeing some of the meaner, more interesting ones, but do you have any, are you seeing anything there that's sticking out to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just seen another one almost at the bottom where another guy says, and, uh, and your soul will never have peace. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. like, it's like they, you know, it's like, so crazy because they're already judging you they're already condemning you but the funny thing is they say like for instance 
It's so funny. You'll have members like that or leadership like that that'll condemn you to hell. You'll never have peace in this life. Your mm -hmm. your soul is going to hell. You you're you know what you're doing is unforgivable. I go back tomorrow and start tithing and and uh, resuming my role, and I guarantee you that oh brother, you we we uh, father mother knew you know that we yeah. love you. You know like we never uh, gave up hope. Yeah, <laughs> we never gave up hope. You know, like. <laughs> just, we knew you come uh, back all along. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, and you right. know, so, so, but, but anyway, you know, let me touch on that a little bit about the peace because that is a big deal to me. You know, when when I said those things, I meant those things. Like, you know, um, I can't speak for everybody, but I know one thing. Like, I didn't know what peace was. That's why I know I didn't have any peace. And the reason why I know, you know, that I didn't have any peace is because now I know what peace feels like. And the reason why I can know without a shadow of a doubt that I didn't have peace or people that are inside the World Mission Society Church of God doesn't have any peace or with any other quote for that matter doesn't have any peace is because of what the scriptures say. Peace can only be found in one person and that's in Jesus Christ. That's why uh, I want to go to a, a couple verses in uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Verse 33. <clears throat> it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus Christ explains here, he says, in him, you have peace, right? In this world, you're going to have all kinds of troubles and sorrows, which is kind of, you know, uh, different than what the World Mission Society Church of God preaches, because when they preach, you have the seal of God. God is going to protect you. If a tornado comes, the tornado is just going to pass right on over you. You know what I mean? COVID wasn't supposed to kill any of the members and, you know, not do... Yeah. So, you know, all these things, you know, like you're supposed to be protected, untouched, you know, it's not the case. Right. But he, here's the thing. They always say if, if, you know, I even heard, you know, from a from a member, from a, a, a leader, you know, um, that when the covid uh, coronavirus first happened, that he had heard from the uh, overseer uh, in the Midwest area that basically mother had said that through the COVID-19, it was going to separate the goats and the sheep. And so basically those who were going to die off were going to be the goats. Right. And so is that to me, that sounds pretty, pretty hateful, you know, like, uh, you know, like God is telling you those who die from coronavirus are pretty much, you know, going to hell goats regardless of their faith regardless of their heart that that doesn't matter to them right even though the scriptures say otherwise they don't care about that if you die then that's a bad thing but see when the first church first started there wasn't that many deaths because the church was so new now they're trying to change it up but they still hold to that if you keep the passover you should be good Not, nothing should really happen to you you know but when you think about it compared to the Bible and like what actually happened to the, the apostolic church and the way the apostles died, the, all the martyrs of the early church, like it's completely different, you know, and then you got to think that the, the people 
I've met members, you know, I know members personally that are, that are still in the church and have no peace. They have no peace. I've talked to a bunch of them, you know, and I'm hoping that one day, you know, they're going to have the courage to be able to, you know, share this platform and, you know, we can have a conversation, you know, because really they have uh, amazing testimonies as well, you know. But uh, as far as uh, peace, peace is found in one person. And th there's one reason why we have peace. Let's go to another verse in Isaiah chapter 53 real quick. Isaiah chapter 53. And it says here in verse 3. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. So the Bible tells us not only who we have peace in, but how we obtain that peace. And what was the cost that God had to pay for us to obtain that peace? So for the people that say, I have no peace. And if I, I just wish that you felt the peace that I felt that I feel right now inside of me. And um, we want to go to another one in uh, John chapter 14. John 14 off. Make them quick. John chapter 14. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So again, another verse that confirms the peace comes to us through Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This one is, is amazing because what it tells you, again, how you have peace, it's not by the Passover. It's not by keeping the Sabbath. It's not by bearing fruit. It's not by tithing. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are just a few. I have more, but just for the sake of time, I think that's sufficient Like to, to show that peace comes through Jesus Christ and nothing else. Yeah. So another another one here, um, another comment. Enrique Jr. says to you, Edgar, on your video, you like the Pharisees and teachers. Uh, there's some poor grammar here, uh, but... I think he's trying to say you're, you're like the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They only believe what they believed, but they don't believe the Bible. Rejecting the Bible is like rejecting Christ who died for your sins, uh, died for your sins. And even a second time he walked again, the thorny path for our salvation. And for what, for this foolish sinner, we are, we are sinners. That's where we are, we are here, not to stumble, complaining and rejecting the truth. So 
He's saying you are like the Pharisees. Obviously, we get we get this one a lot too. That you're just being like the Pharisees. So if you if you have a logical, rational, and biblical objection to the doctrines of this this church, the 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 knee jerk like immediate response without even trying to understand where you're coming from is going to be you are a Pharisee. They they already in their minds they already know everything there is there needs to be known about you. Um, that the only reason you are asking questions, the only reason you object to anything that the church says is because you have an evil heart. Um, yeah, such such a ridiculous and frustrating <laughs> um, comment that is such a, a common sort of comment that we get. You know, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm pretty sure there's a few members here in town that, uh, you know, Jordan, you know, one of them, you know, then they usually are always, you know, uh, creeping and lurking this. If it's the same person, that name that you just read in that comment, I know him personally. And I went to the church, you know, here in Wichita with him, you know, so um I had, you know, he, he could, he's entitled to those opinions. You know, I could say a lot of things, you know, about him, you know, and the way the, you know, church viewed him, but there's no, I, I gained nothing from that, you know, so I, I'm not here to sp speak illly about somebody. The, the truth is in the Bible. And, and, and if, if it's you that, uh, brother, that if you're, you know, if you're the one making that comment, reach out to me. I'd like to, you know, uh, maybe one day we could go have a conversation at a coffee shop or at a McDonald's or something, and we could search the scriptures together. You know, it's easy to call somebody, you know, a Pharisee or, you know, tell somebody that they're, you know, that they're, that they're uh, following a false God and that, you know, we're, we're not realizing what the truth is. And another thing is to prove it. The Bible says, prove all things, right? So, you know, just a friendly encouragement. I'd love to sit down and talk with you sometime, you know, and we could, we could share the scriptures together. That's all I got to say about that one. Yeah. So another comment says, if you truly, again, these are addressed to Edgar. Um, if you truly believe in God, you obey his commands. Sabbath and Passover is just a basic command of God. There are many commandments and laws. If you don't want to do them, then you are not a true believer. So the way I, I would respond to that is, um, so they say, you know, if you don't want to keep, you know, the Passover, the Sabbath, these are very basic, right? So that uh, you're not a true believer if you don't, if you don't want to keep them. Well, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment, <laughs> right? So wh wh why, why don't we focus yeah. on keeping that? Because that one's not basic. That's the most important <laughs> one. It seems like you guys are, you know, focusing on these things that aren't actual commandments in the New Testament and ignoring the most important ones, right? How, loving yeah. God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, Jordan, you, we haven't touched on it. We talked a little bit about, you know, a question that you were thinking about asking me, you know, uh, you know, and I think this is a good time to mention that that part, you know, about uh, about mm -hmm. loving your neighbor. Right. So how much more, you know, it's not just imagine this, not just loving your neighbor. How much more should you love? You know, if I'm a World Mission Society Church of God member, how much more should I love the members inside the church, my brothers and sisters? 
well, you know, out of respect for my friend, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's a member inside the church of God that right now, you know, due to some unfortunate events, you know, is, uh, is, is arrested right now. He's being held and, uh, you know, he's, he's innocent. And, uh, you know, but the thing is, the church hasn't done anything to, you know, to, I heard recently that they went to go visit him just a, a few days ago, but that's after they found out that I was, you know, going out and, and visiting him and trying to get him out. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's so crazy to me how, you know, all, like they preach about love. They preach about these commandments. It's like what Jesus said, you know, you, you do all these things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You know, it's like you want to you want to keep these these commandments and these rituals, but they don't change this. That's the problem. Listen, Church of God members, I'm not bashing you. I love you guys, but it doesn't matter how many times you guys keep Passover doesn't matter how many times you keep the Sabbath day. That's not what's going to change your heart. That's not what did it for the Israelites. It was Jesus. That's the only one that can give you a new heart. He's the only one that can give you a heart of flesh. It's not the ordinances of the law. It's It comes by faith. It's a free gift. Yeah. If, if, if you're... Um religion whatever it is i would argue especially if your your christianity is not causing you to be somebody who has compassion who sees those in need who sees those um who are broken and lowly if if your version of christianity doesn't move you to compassion if it doesn't move you to be a person of of humility of uh, of love um then i would say there's something wrong about it you know the the galatians five five is it the, the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control that I, I would I would argue that those things are the manifestation of the, the the kingdom of God operating manifesting in a person and around a person. So, if those things are not things that you are experiencing, or if those things are not things that are being produced in you through whatever your church is, or or your relationship with the Bible, or your relationship with uh, Christianity at all, if it's not producing those things, those fruits in you, things like kindness, self-control, gentleness, goodness, um, then like Edgar, like you're saying, like that, a change heart, truly having a change heart, then I would say there's something, there's, what, what good is it? What, what, what's, what's it doing? You know, um, do you really read the Bible and, and read through it and think that, you know, if you're somebody who hates other people who has no compassion or love, or, you know, you see somebody um, that is a need and you have no, you know, genuine concern or care for, for them or for others. But yet, you know, you think, well, I keep, I keep all these feasts. I keep Passover and Sabbath and I tithe. Um, can you really read through the Bible and think that, that, what God is really concerned with is whether you're tithing and keeping feasts and he's 
doesn't really care much about, you know, those unimportant matters like loving um, and, and caring for the poor and, you know, visiting those in prison and, and things like that. Um, yeah. I just, I don't think you can get that. That is, that's the exact, that's like so flipped upside down. You know, when you look at what Jesus was all about, it's so upside down. Um, and, and, and yeah, the, the WMSCOG has just, they've got it completely upside down. Their, their emphasis, their focus is so twisted. It's so inside out. Um, and, but, and yeah. you know, just to uh, piggyback off, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Kelsey's comment that I'm, I'm seeing. It says, I don't know why yeah. they don't realize how much like the Pharisees they really are. And it's funny because the comment that you brought up, Jordan, is uh, it had that in there, right? That, you know, basically calling me a Pharisee. And that's what they do to everybody that, you know, talks against the World Mission Society Church of God. They've called you Pharisee plenty of times. And that's their famous, you know, that's their famous uh, words to use is call people a Pharisee or a Sadducee. But it's really ironic how they can't see, like, for instance, compare the things of that the of the people that they call Pharisees, what they preach compared to what the World Mission Society Church of God preaches. We're preaching faith in Christ alone right? We're preaching love, right? We're preaching, you know, having, you know, patience, the fruit of the spirit. They're preaching, you got to keep this, you got to keep that, you got to do this, you got to do that. If you don't do this, you're going to go here. If you do this, you might go here. And who sounds more like a Pharisee? Yeah. And, and not only just, are they preaching it, but they're looking down with such <laughs> self-righteous indignation toward those who, oh, you don't keep the Sabbath? Well, you know, see you in hell sort of deal or, Oh, you don't keep the Passover. Well, you're just a dog and a pig and, and you obviously don't understand the Bible at all. And it's just this demeaning, oh. condescending, self-righteous, aggressive, arrogant um, attitude. And, and yeah, exactly what you're saying. Go read through the new Testament and you ask yourself who in the scenario is, is being most like the Pharisee. So there is just such a great, irony to every time you see them leaving those comments, which is part of what makes it so, so frustrating in a sense, because it's like, how, how do you not see this? How do you not see what you're doing right now? Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like the, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like they saw the law, they were keeping it, but even though they were keeping it, they were only paying attention and focusing on what they wanted to see on the ritualistic things of the law, the ordinances of the law, getting down to the nitty gritty, the literal part of the law. And they they didn't realize what God wanted them to see through the law, the purpose of the law and the mercy of God through the law and what it was foreshadowing. Well, look at it now. Look at the World Mission Society Church of God members. Oh, you're a Pharisee. Really? When, when, when they go to uh, the book of John, it seems that the only verse they like to pull from there is verse 53. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're focusing on just that verse, that one that, that they say the ordinance, you know, the way you're supposed to keep the Passover, the bread and wine. And they ignore everything else that's mentioned in that chapter. Who's more like the Pharisees? They only focus on the, the actual act itself but they're not understanding the weightier matters of the law. What was Jesus' point through John chapter six? 
Was it really just bread and wine ceremony and that's salvation? Man, that's not, honestly, that, that doesn't sound like, you know, uh, if, if compared to the grand scheme of things of how God worked out the salvation for us, everything that God had to go through and just put it on bread and wine, that's almost like disrespecting, you know, all of what Jesus went through. If it was just as simple as here, take this loaf of bread and drink this sip of wine. And it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you keep keeping this once a year, you're good. And everyone else is going to hell, man, then that's not good news at all. I mean, just think about it. Then that means Judas is in heaven because Judas kept the Passover, but he's not. Jesus says it would have been better for him to not even be born. So we see that Jesus, his ministry was always focusing on the heart. And that's the one thing that the cults stay away from is they don't appeal to the heart because they can't. They're just worried about the, the outward things of the law and there's no transformation of the heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. All right. Well, um, there's there's so many other questions in there, obviously, but they're... Um, well, let's see here. Hey, Jordan, can I, mean, I address one last? I mean, if you want to do one last one, there was one that is brought up a lot about us not doing the will of God. That yeah, they are doing the yeah. will of God and we're not. Yep. Yeah. If you Do you see that one in front of you? Because um, you could read it. Let me try to pull it up. Hey, while you're finding that, I'll be I'll be right back. And then, oh. yeah, we'll probably wrap up with that one. Okay. Whether I'm having oops. Do you see it anywhere? Um, I can't. I'm not even seeing that. Uh, I I can only see the okay. comments that are well. In the well, I think you know. There, it, it, you said it's about like doing the will of God. Yeah, I'm pulling it up on Does, my phone right now. I'm going okay. through the comments right now. Let's see here. So Europe's it's a V two T four G commented saying, Oh yeah, so, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So Europe said that they are asking you to do the will of God. So my question would be to, all the World Mission Society Church of God members out there, according to the Bible, not what you've been taught, not what you think it is, according to the scriptures, what is the will of God? Because this is this is important. And if, if there's a member on there, please post it in the comments, a biblical answer, because guess what? It's not going to say Passover, Sabbath, seven feasts, tithe, none of that. So what does the Bible actually say is the will of God? The reason why this is important is because I, I understand the members reasoning behind this. This is always a go to for the Church of God members saying uh, everyone that's not doing these things are not following the will of God. And they mm -hmm. get that from Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so they say. Passover is the will of God. Sabbath is the will of God. So they're telling you what, in their opinion, is the will of God. But what does Jesus actually say the will of God is? Mm -hmm. 
Th- this is pro- if John. you're going, if you're, oh, okay, you're going to John. Okay. Yeah. John chapter six. John chapter six. I might piggyback off of off of you in Matthew twenty five too, because this is a, yeah, this is a good point. And it says here in uh, verse thirty eight, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So the Bible clearly tells you a biblical definition from Jesus himself what the will of God is, and that's to put your trust and belief in Jesus Christ. So if, yeah, and we could go from there to, let's see if I can pull it up here. First, for so first John three twenty three um, says we will receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and we should love one another just as he commanded us so. So, so you have members constantly accusing, you know, those who don't keep Passover and Sabbath and saying, oh, you are breaking the, the commandment. You're not keeping the commandments of God. Well, here he's, he says very clearly what is important to God, what is pleasing. He says what is pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment to believe and to love. So it's like this is what. Um, if you go in, like in Galatians, Paul says that the only thing that matters, what counts, is faith working itself or manifesting itself in love. So faith, a faith in God that results in a person having a changed heart so that they love their neighbor as themselves. That is what is pleasing in God's sight. That, I would Amen. say, is is the goal, the purpose of of Christianity, really. Like that's what... God wants to achieve inside of people is to make people who have the kind of faith that results in them having love for other people. Um, and that is something that I feel like this group completely misses, does not emphasize at all, doesn't under even begin to understand. Um, and, and that's why, again, I would say that they are just, they've got it completely upside down and inside out yeah i agree all right well that might be a good place to wrap this up here um i did not see there might have been some questions that i missed if so uh i'm sorry about that but i didn't i didn't see any other super chats i think we got to all those so um yeah i hope we will do this again soon it's been a while i know and and i'd like to make it not um as long next time and uh yeah i i did want to say thank you to all the um supporters there's i know several people uh well quite a group actually of people that are supporting on the youtube channel there's people supporting on patreon i want to thank burns uh 
Cornerstone Church that is also one of the biggest uh, supporters for the channel. Uh, my Aunt Jeannie is also another supporter who's been su supporting the channel for, for a long time now. So yeah, thank you all of you guys who are supporting the channel. That is uh, definitely a big help in allowing me to keep doing this. And um, I, I think there's a handful of shorter video clips that I want to pull from this. And so if you missed um, if you missed part of this conversation, I'm going to try to pull out sort of the, the main conversation points that we covered and make those into shorter videos that are a little bit more um, uh, manageable to watch through. So, um, yeah, and Edgar, thank you. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And it's good to catch up. It's been too long. Yes, sir. No problem. Anytime. Anytime, brother. You know, I'm, I'm ready. Yep, for sure. It's fun having you on again. So, all right, guys. Well, everybody have a good night and we will see you all next time. <laughs>